So we are uh, fully engaged in the dependent origination talks. This is, I think, number 18 or 19 on our, on our list. And uh, there will be two more talks. Uh, we are uh, thoroughly exploring the conditionality of our minds and how we have learned to perceive the world through and from that conditionality. And we uh, are and have been talking about the thickening of that conditionality as the states of mind grow more uh, experienced, more, when there's more memory backing, uh, the longevity of, and repetition of these qualities and states of mind, they all mean something not just for the state of mind as it's being experienced, but for what they did to me in the past or having experienced other people through that state of mind and on and on. So uh, as we uh, journey, this journey of conditioning, the uh, burden of the conditioning becomes more powerful, thicker. And uh, the last three the last three uh, links in dependent origination have to do with that thickening of the conditioning that we've been talking about for the whole year. And we mentioned birth, which was the, you know, the, for all of us over our lifetimes, you can think of, of life being divided in three different sections. There's the birth of ourselves, which holds the, sort of the hope and the joy, the discovery, the newness, the wonder, the unknown quality, which uh, as it matures gets faded with uh, the uh, maturation of life, the aging of life, uh, where uh, it becomes a, a sustaining life, a continuing life. The, growth of ourselves psychologically also manifests during that phase, that intermediate phase between the birth of ourselves and the death of ourselves. Is It's the longer component of our years on earth and uh, often the burdens of that conditioning begin to compile during this particular time and then it turns into the death uh, which is the last talk in this series and that death is the resolution or the settlement of what our life has been about. It's the completion or the release, the summation of all of those years and uh, the accompanying sorrow or grief that that can bring, the sadness, or it can bring stillness. You see, each of these, depending upon how, that, how weighted that conditioning is over time, it can bring the sorrows and bitterness of a life that's disappointed been disappointing or it can bring an increased dharma understanding and growth that leads to quietude and stillness and a resolution of some of those difficulties. And so uh, this long, longevity of birth and aging and death, this sequenciation, this movement from one to another in the thickening of the conditioning really has a heavy burden about it. But that doesn't mean that we have to go through it with that heavy burden. 
because there is always available to us the birth of the heart. And the birth of the heart is a very different way of relating to the moment than through the conditioned reference that the mind offers us moment after moment. And that, of course, is the, is the application of dharma within our life. That's the hope of not having to be troubled by the years of my conditioning, of my habits, of the weight of what I've always thought about in the, in the condensing of the story of myself that gets um, so laborsome. I hope we've all felt that. And, the, and just the, and the compelling nature of it. It doesn't lighten up when we get older. It burdens itself because we have uh, incidences activities that we all regret and uh, the lack of forgiveness and all of that, that piling on can slow us down, can round our shoulders to the effect of what living is. Uh, enter the Dharma. The Dharma is a dispelling of that, is an opportunity. It's a, a different kind of birth. It's a refreshing quality of the birth of the heart. It's the uplift. It's the newness of it. And all we have to do is a simple simple, simply stated as that we dwell where we are rather than where our conditioning takes us to believe we've been and where our conditioning says we're going to go. And that if we live within the trance of our thinking and within the trance of our narrative, within the thick quality and heavy chapters of our story, then the groove of our lives is perpetuated uh, step after step, just a deepening hard, hardship of each of those steps. But if we look and re-examine the truth of what this moment is, we see that it's, it's just, it's, a, it's been a kind of something, it's a story we've been telling ourselves that has moved us into that increased sense of conditioning. It's a story in which we gladly uh, uh, referenced early on in our life because the conditioning wasn't so thick and we thought we had a lot of time and a lot of possibilities within our life and, and it looked like forms and uh, things in life could hold uh, a happiness that uh, we were willing to try and so we asserted our energy and played out the world's opportunities and uh, we tried to make it work you know, and it didn't. Uh, and I don't even have to ask you if it did or didn't. If you're deeply uh, into the Dharma, you realize that you can't fool yourself any longer to believe that it did. And so you begin now to search for a different kind of birthing process than the birth of our physical form and of our mental conditioning, which happened when we uh, came from the womb. And we look for the birth of the heart, for something new, for something that can revitalize and reignite the wonder that we know is there somewhere. We've forgotten where it is. We've forgotten how to access it. But we have a sense that it's available to us. Now, I want to talk about this middle section. We've talked about birth. That was our last lecture and discussion. I want to talk about the maturation, the aging process. I want us to look at it from several different perspectives this evening. I want us to understand what it is and the opportunities within it, not just 
labor under its influence, under its conditioning, and to see whether there may be something uh, unexpected that comes or is invited from it. So I want to look at it from several perspectives. Uh, and so the first perspective uh, is just the fact that we are aging. You know, it, I mean, just to admit that fact, and even if you're young, uh, you can look around the room and see where you're going. <laughs> it's not far. And, and the sense of, uh, of, okay, you know, so we're all involved in this. And uh, it, there's, a, uh, there's an anticipation that I too will, if I'm young, will age. But at some point, that anticipation becomes a reality. And the biting grip that that reality has on us uh, is very different than thinking about when you'll be old. It, it's, uh, it didn't hit me actually until about age 60. At age 60, I couldn't, I couldn't get out of the image of the mirror. I couldn't persuade myself that my body was still comfortably available as it's always been. And what I saw at that point was that I could live uh, in a kind of uh, begrudged way as day after day uh, I could sense a, a growing limitation on mind and body. Or I had to learn surrender. I had to learn it. And the aging forces us to consider the term surrender in a way perhaps that uh, we hadn't experienced it prior to this fact. What, is, what does it mean, you see, when you don't, if you carry yesterday along with today, if you wake up expecting the body of yesterday or the mind of yesterday, then you can see that that's going to be the definition of your struggle until you die. That you're just not going to make it. Uh, in any kind of buoyant sense or any kind of birth of the heart sense. It's going to be labor intensive as you're struggling through the difficulties of what today offers in relationship to what yesterday's youth created. And so this forced surrender, you know, and, and uh, is actually has a Dharma point, I hope everyone understands, where you have to live the incarnation of the day. Uh, enough of searching through the old albums, you know, and uh, remembering when. I mean, you can do that, but you have to do that in perspective of that this is a new incarnation, that you wake up and you don't have that ability anymore, whatever it might be. And that just keeps increasing. Soon, you know, more and more you're... you're really whittled away in front of your eyes. I, when I worked in, uh, with death and dying, when I worked in hospice care, I, I could, you could see that in a speeded up way uh, where somebody was dying within you know, a matter of, say, weeks or months. And they would, when they were uh, first admitted, sometimes they looked as healthy as you or I. Uh, and yet they were told that they had a terminal prognosis. Well, they didn't believe it. I mean, they were told that. They signed the papers that said that I know this fact. 
But they didn't, it didn't sink in, you see, because it hadn't translated itself into a bodily limitation yet. And then you could see how the mind, what happened, the great educator was the body. As the body started to decline, you could see what the person had to do in order to make his or her life purposeful, meaningful, and enjoyable, having quality along the way. That there couldn't be, you know, they, they had to listen to what the body was telling them. I mean, I remember one man who used to, he had these little weights, and he would get up there and do this, you know. The guy was, at that point, like two or three weeks from dying, and he was trying to get his strength back. And the sorrow that would the person could create for him or herself when they weren't willing to listen to the messages of the body. Now that's in all of us. And we don't believe aging is occurring until it happens. And then you know it. And there's no wiggle room around it. And then you either release the tension associated with it and live the day because even though the body and the mind, I mean the forgetfulness, uh, and what was I going to say? <laughs> All of that just keeps occurring. Yet, from inside, something is not aging. Huh? Do, you, do you know that? No matter what your age is, if you go inside and you look, not from what you can remember or not, that's the brain and that's, going, that's aging. That's the form that aging takes, memory loss or whatever. But inside, there's something there. And that's the birth of the heart. That's the, that's the prevalence. That's the proximity of the birth of the heart. That's the availability of what we could be missing all along the way because we bemoan the fact that our brain is getting older and our body's getting crankier or vice versa. You see? So this living surrender, living surrender. Now, you know, I've harped on this, but I'm going to continue to harp on it. Living our maturity, living our realization, living our insight. I'm convinced that this has to occur. We have to get off the theoretical bandwagon and really apply what it means to live an awakened life. And uh, aging is one of those hardships, if I can use that word. Somebody said... It's not for wimps. <laughs> there is some truth to that too. The, of living it. Okay, now, you see? Because immediately the body can shift back just a year, 10 years. It can go back as far as it wants to and bring a scenario of much greater ease than today. And if you do that, suddenly today is miserable. And not only is today miserable, but that which has not aged is obscured. See this point? 
to access that which does not age, we cannot hold a disadvantaged perception up to it because it itself is not disadvantaged. It is alive and is equally as alive as when we came out of the womb. It has never been diminished one bit in its aliveness and never will be, could not be. And so where are we going to live, you see? Where are we going to live? And so what it does is it begins, you begin to get a sense, all right, so where am I going to shift? Where am I shifting here? Where am I living? Where am I taking a stand? Where am I going to live my realization? Is it in form? Well, if you live in form, you're going to die with form because form gets old, has a birth, gets old and dies. Every expression of form is set to grow old and die. Every expression, every experience, and by form I mean not just the physicality of forms, I mean every experience that one has is a formation. And every experience ages and eventually dies. Now that, that's what, when you, what, that's the ground of the Dharma. That's where we stand, that's what we stand upon, that's what we learn about so that we can accommodate and acquiesce to that maturity when things get difficult, because things do get difficult in form. Form rubs against form, we argue with form, we have all kinds of tantrums, always form-related, always form-related. What would you argue about formlessly? Because it doesn't, it holds everything in benevolence, in kindness. You see? So this, okay, so now we're called upon to rise to the occasion of this thing. And the other thing, age does not allow you to consider that you're going to live long. When you realize you are aging, you realize that death is part of that process, that those two are coupled together. And that'll be the next talk. But you see the inevitability of where this thing is going. We're heading towards a crash site, right? And now it's getting our attention because we're feeling, you know, we're feeling the proximity of that occurrence. And we go, oh my God. And I, why did I do so much, you know, novel, reading the novels? You know, why wasn't I applying myself more diligently all that time, all those years? All those, all those years. We begin to understand what maturity has done for us. And one, another expression of what maturity has done for us is it has allowed us, what aging and maturation does is it allows us to come to terms with some dharma maturation as well. You know, you begin to, be, you just, over time, life that's been lived with self-awareness begins to settle more. 
It's not as impatient. Time isn't as compelling. It's not as, it doesn't push as hard. You know, first of all, the body doesn't move as fast. But more importantly, it's just not that much of a problem anymore. Not just because I've retired or whatever it might be. It's because there's, it's just seen in perspective. Aging gives a, an immense perspective on Dharma and on living. And there's a kind of, if again, this all depends upon having lived our maturation all along the way, but it also gives a kind of gratitude, not a bitterness. Each one of these possibilities can go left or right, can go a yes or a no. You can go towards bitterness or you can go towards gratitude. There's this way that one can age in which life just isn't in dispute in the same way. And so this sort of settled approach brings a kind of patience. And one doesn't consider one's you know, movement be, to be so important. Dharmic movement, psychic movement. You know, how, how am I doing? How fast am I growing? The speed of which, of, uh, when, you, when we're young, speed has an uh, overemphasis, greatly overemphasized. You know, speed, and that also influences comparison and, and contrast and competition and all of that. But there, there, that's, that fades. That, that gets, it gets much more gentle. And, and so one doesn't worry so much about uh, exactly where I am on the course of, in the course of things. And so the whole sense of needing to be somewhere else or searching beyond myself, that's the other component of maturation, psychological and dharma maturation is doesn't make any sense to search beyond yourself. You search in yourself. You surf with yourself. Search within. But to run off somewhere uh, just doesn't doesn't strike true any longer. And we also, there's a kind of way that what we begin to realize is that, you know, the uh, prompting of wanting and aversion just isn't as dramatic. And what we really want when we look from a subtle position is the end of wanting. And wanting... Pursuing wanting never ends itself. And so if we want the end of wanting, we have to even be more settled than the wanting itself. And the aversion. And so all of that is from the perspective of living. You see that the real beauty of aging is that it gives you that perspective. It gives you the context of how life is over time from a broad sense. It's not, just a, it's not so, such a self-centered sense anymore. And so then you can begin to see you know, the mechanics of how this thing really works, how this thing is really put together. Now, it doesn't, you don't have to be 60 
to do that. But you do have to live your realization and you have to live your maturity. And you, ha you have to be willing not to take this on as some kind of personal salvation where you're running through at the expense of everyone else your own growth and your own sense of personal need. You lose everything within that. But just proportionality here. Just look, let's just look and see what's here. And naturally enough, we begin to feel the limitation of what form can offer us. We've chased it when we were young. You know, we looked like a bright prize. And after a number of years of trying to collect a number of forms, including money is a form, you feel like there's, you're, in terms of, of the m misery meter, it hasn't done much to, to the needle of that meter. It just creates more tension. And there's a, there's a, so there's a settling back. Just life is teaching us this. Just life right in front of our eyes. Just, it says, oh, well, you know, this is... And so then the heart gets engaged. When we have taken the enamoration off of form, when it just doesn't hold itself in the esteem that this country seems to give it. It just, uh, something, that energy that was used as investment in form, as excitement about form, as pursuit of form, gets relocated as connectivity, of connection. Because when you're chasing after something, you're not connected to it at all. You're pursuing it. But when we're willing to give up that pursuit, what comes in is the sense of being connected to the forms all around us and to oneself and to others. And I, I love the fact that that is almost inherent in Dharma work, that one begins to feel the warmth of connectedness. And then, you know, you're... Somebody asked you, like I was, uh, I was meeting with some old friends over the weekend, and one of them ha I hadn't seen for probably a year. And so he says, uh, how are you? And I said, I'm fine. I feel really great. He says, you always say that. And I thought for a minute, I said, well, it's always true. I don't really feel anything but fine. Not that I don't have my glitches, physical and mental, but it's just that it doesn't make sense that that would be the definition of how you're doing. Because that's just, if you drive an old car, <laughs> your light, your taillight goes out. Still the car is fine, isn't it? No, what's, what's missing, you see? The maturation of our lifetime says, what's, what's really missing here? 
In fact, uh, if I ever get cynical or bitter, uh, which doesn't happen very often, not, not in recent memory, you know, you just, is bitterness right? In the present, what is left unfulfilled? I mean, you just bring that up. Just ask your, what you're asking for in that moment instead of the bitter recourse of agitation. and You're asking for that which has not aged to come forth. You can call on this thing anytime. It's just that what happens is that we're so used to looking at ourselves as form, as an aging expression of ourselves, always in a disadvantaged light because we aren't 20 anymore. And that holds the power of its own persuasion, thickening and deepening the context of the story around it that that which is not aging has no perspective within that story. It has no, there's no way it can get in. The story is too loud. But if you're willing to say, what, what in this moment is not aging? What is left unfulfilled in this moment? What, even one's aches and pains are a sense of fulfillment when it's asked from a proper perspective. You see, all we're doing is looking from a different perspective. Instead of through the conditioning, which just tells us who you are and what I think about you and life is, you know, all the conclusions and attitudes we've piled on it. That's what the conditioning looks like. That's the perspective from conditioning. That's the habit, well-trained habit of dependent origination. That's how sure you are that you are you and that everyone else is also who the youth knew and you know them to be. But what about this? Just calling it forward. That's a perspective. That breaks the chains of the paradigm of conditioning. From there, you, you can't find misery. From there, old age and death cannot touch you. How close is it? It's the breath inside the breath, said Rumi. So the perspective of surrender, of release, of living the fact 
of our aging, of knowing that we can't carry the past forward or we'll suffer in relationship to it, that we can't live with an expected tomorrow because death is too near. This is the advantages of aging, which are only disadvantaged when we look from it from a steady and consistent sense of me and my story. And then we see the story ending and then all hell breaks loose emotionally with us. Because I'm ending too. Of the book ends. What page? I don't know. I mean, how many pages does yours? I'm on page 66. A <laughs> hundred? I don't know. And all along the way, life has been crying out for us, has been attempting to persuade us. Our minds have persuaded us in one perspective, and life is attempting to realign that perspective into something much more freeing. And so as we begin to walk through our aging, if we're living our maturity, it sounds quieter. It's very nice that we may or may not have enough money to do less, but that's not the real benefit of aging. The benefit of aging is that you've been there, you've done it, you've tried that, and that you're no longer willing just to repeat again and again the endless mistakes of your life. And if you have to work longer, you work longer, but it doesn't carry a burden. Because there's no ambition, at, really. And so we come into ourselves Independent origination, the paradigm. I age, but is awareness aging? It says that that holds it all, really. I am aging. I am aging. Let's look at what I is. I is I. I is this body. I is I am. I all. I. And that I is aging. Now, let's just get quieter. is awareness aging. Mm -hmm. 
You see that the arrows, all the arrows no longer point in. Suddenly something else, a whole shift comes in. Now, the Buddha lived within that shifted paradigm. So let us not argue our way back into the paradigm of form by saying, I can't live like that. That's crazy. I just, no, it's not crazy. In fact, if you can just get a sense of it, you'll see how uncrazy it is. You'll see which side craziness lies on, which paradigm has invested craziness in it. Now here's the catch-22 that I wrote the homework from. In order to know the freedom from aging, you have to live aging thoroughly, completely, 100%. If you back away from aging, you are caught within its grip. Grip. You're under its influence. And the only way to be free of aging is to completely live with it, through it. So there is no resistance whatsoever to it. I love that. Because if it didn't have that catch-22, you see, we'd all be fleeing our skins. But there is no possibility of freedom fleeing anything, including aging. Uncomfortable, arthritic, forgetful. It's asking us to live without resistance to all of that. Then, then the paradigm shifts. Doesn't that make complete sense? Isn't there something elegantly beautiful about the fact that one can never escape until one completely accepts? Until one's heart has relinquished every form of protest? And then there is the complete escape. So aging doesn't look like resignation. Oh, I'm aging. I'll just get on with it. You know, it's, uh, might as well make out my will. It doesn't look like that. That's as about a. That's as that's as close. That resignation is a, is is what the brain can offer as a replication of acceptance. That's the only thing it can offer. Because it can't completely accept itself. How can, it, how can you accept the fact that you are going to die? You can come to terms with it.
You can be aversive to life and want to die, but that's the same thing. But to offer no protest to the fact So then what is aging? I offer you this question. I leave you with this. What is aging in you? And what is not aging in you? What has been untouched by age? The part of you in there that still feels very young, unaffected, that feels the pain and the grumpiness, but it's not under its persuasion. That part. That's where we're headed as we break through this chain of dependent origination. Can we just sit for a minute or two? What is ageless in this moment? Is awareness aging? I'm aging, but is awareness aging? We bring old age, sickness, and death upon ourselves through the view we hold, through the story we tell. And we're so tied to that story that we're willing to go off the cliff with it. We're willing to die and suffer rather than to release and surrender. That's an amazing sense of loyalty we have to our image. Amazing loyalty. We say dog is a person's best friend. Our image is our personally best friend. We will die for our image. Okay. So if there are any uh, questions or comments. Yes, sir. You youngin. Yes, he's saying, uh, he was talking about acceptance, and he also said that in some ways, observation itself can be a form of 
separation. Okay, so. Seeing, yes, oh, very, very true, very true. Okay, so what is happening at the other end of the observation? You see, you've got, when you say, okay, so I observe and I still feel separate from what I see. So what is happening there, right? What is happening there is that there's still very subtle commentary about what we see. We're still invoking a view that we are seeing something separate from, right? So there's still an assumption and two images, and I'm invested in an image in that, and an image of me in seeing that. Right? It can be that subtle. It doesn't have to be loud conversations about the nature of what I see. It can be just that shifting apart of me seeing. Right? Okay. So here's what, here's what not to do, is try to bring those together. Because you can't. You can't, or try to eliminate one and just have the other, or try to eliminate both of them. You get, all right? So you, be, you are disempowered here. So you bring observation of the duality. So I'm observing this. And now I'm aware that there is distance, and I'm just aware of the distance between the sense of me and that. That's all. Just the awareness of that distance. Right? And that, that awareness doesn't have a vantage point or perspective from which it is seen. The sense of me and it has a perspective, but if I'm aware of the distance of the sense of separation, then that which is aware of the sense of separation is itself not separate from. Okay? So you just live with that for a while and see what happens to your consciousness as those things just become known to you. So you always add nothing to something. If you're something and that's something, then add nothing to it and bring those... That. The only way through something is to add nothing to it. When you add nothing to it, it can't sustain its somethingness because nothing's being added to it. It can sustain its somethingness as long as I'm talking about it. As long as I'm back here in memory, remembering what that is, and holding it to my memory of it, that makes it something. But if I'm aware of doing that, then I'm, not, I'm no longer forcing that upon it, and it closes down, it collapses. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So the question is about the talk I did on birth, and it seemed like I was talking about the birth of something new all the time. 
now I'm talking about aging and it seems like I'm talking about it from a different perspective. What, what I, what I, my interpretation of dependent origination is that it shows you all the causal lengths of, of conditioning. And then it shows you birth, death, birth, old age, and death as a result of the accumulation of all the conditioning that ran before. Okay? So that, in the, in the linkages of dependent origination, the longevity of birth and aging and death is part of that, is part of what the inevitability of the belief in the conditioning. Okay? So tonight I was mentioning, and the week before, there's the birth of the heart. The birth of the heart is breaking through that conditioning at any given moment and freeing us from the conditioned burden of aging, of seeing free of what we believe the world to be and our story about it. Right? That birth is always possible. Right? It just can't be covered in ignorance. The other birth, aging and death, the sequenciation, the longevity, is very heavily steeped in ignorance of not seeing, of just living, you know, it's just like living within the trance of your belief. It's like going to work and having, oh, I got it, that. Okay, at any moment you can shut that completely up, not through force of will, but just by stopping. What is this? What's going on? What's not aging in this moment? You see, you you can call the other possibility forward. You have to bring a lot of clarity and intention and awareness to what you're doing in order to break the spell of what you're doing. But once you have broken that spell, the accessibility of it is, is much easier over time. It gets much easier because you realize that this is just a spell I'm under. And then you get on to how to break the spell. And so you keep calling the remedy forth, which is simply stopping and asking the alternative question of the moment, from where the moment is drifting towards, towards the clarity of being in the moment without that drift. Does that make sense? So what we're trying to do here is to break our, the spell that the trance is keeping us under. It's a very heavily induced conditioning. You know, the thoughts are just laborsome and you all know your lives and what, oh God, when I go back home and my car and God, I have to fix that brake light and uh, my arm hurts and I've got to see the dog. All of that, that's it. That's the spell, okay? But you say that's really happening. Well, it's happening within the paradigm of the spell. It's happening in accordance with the logic and and laws that you have transfixed upon. That's, that's the truth within the, tra within the paradigm of your perception. It is not the truth. It's the truth of the paradigm of that fixed perception. What Buddhism is, is shifting paradigms. That's all it is. It's no longer willing to live within that because when you examine it, you see immediately the falseness of it. How can I say that? Simple. Where is your life in this moment? Where is it? 
There's only one location, and it has nothing of the burdens that you put on it. Nothing. Just to stop. It's, because this is the only reality there is. I can ask a question from this reality. And it can be a saying, like, where is the rest of my life in this moment? And everything is uprooted within that simple question because it can't, it can't conspire. It needs time to conspire itself back into the burden and heaviness. And we just keep, no. Now that frees us from form. That simple question, suddenly you are reincarnated out of form. It doesn't mean that form isn't important. It doesn't mean that you are now aversive to ever going back into yourself. It means that you have now seen a broader perspective, which includes both sides of the equation of form and formlessness. No longer are you entrenched and held within one, in one view of that truth. And so if somebody says... How old are you? You can say, I'm 66. You don't go, I'm ageless. (laughs) Like some teachers do. Oh, he's ageless. And at the moment you're saying that, you're ageless. That's the truth. Anyone else? Well, first of all, I want to talk about grounding yourself in your body because that, that's a very important question, if you don't mind. Because we do need to ground ourselves in the body. If you don't, you'll find that the mind will just whip you in whatever location its whim takes you. You know, it can take you back two years, ahead two years, can journey to your death, it can go anywhere it wants to. So it needs some way to stake it into the ground, to have a tether into the present. And the body is a beautiful implement, instrument in order to do that. So it's, it's a place where we begin our exploration. It grounds us. It stabilizes us. It gives us some sense of perspective so that our minds aren't constantly just off and wondering. But it's not a place that you want to stay forever because it's going to die, right? In the sense that you want... You, you don't want to believe in it as yours. You don't want to bring a whole story around it and, and uh, thicken your identification with it. You want to know what it is. Okay, I'm in the body. It's a stabilizing influence. Let me look and see what it really is. 
And so the year of the four foundations of mindfulness was really to establish ourselves in the body, but then to engender questions as to what this body is. And, and you begin to see that it will only sustain itself as a body as long as you invest your story within it. So anyway, there's a journey out of the body that doesn't take you out of your body, if you understand what I mean. Do you understand that? So that you're not, you're stabilizing yourself within form, even as you see the formless quality of form, even as you see the body and everything that it represents, which is the most personal object there is, is being held together through your belief system. And as you relinquish that belief system, you see that the body becomes, you don't lose the body, but it becomes much more than your mental representation of it. And therefore you can carry that and, and the physicality of it dies, but something else, the, the understanding of what physicality is goes right along with you. Okay, so <laughs> let me encourage you to rest in the body. It's a beautiful instrument for your practice, to be grounded in the body. But don't forget to ask questions about it. What am I grounding myself in? Let me feel this. Don't, within every question, don't assert that it's my body, that it's the body even. That's what the name you're giving it temporarily. It's a temporary image that you're having of it, but you're investigating through that image. And eventually, you can live very comfortably within it without being contained by its limitation. I don't know if you understood a word I said, but I just want to encourage you to go back and listen to the four foundation talks. Because <laughs> we really did spend a year, or maybe it was two years. It was two years, wasn't it? On that very... Okay, thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.